just want to say at uh, the beginning of my message this morning, at the end of my message, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. You might be preparing your hearts for that time. All of you who've trusted in Christ, free to partake of that meal with us. Um, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. So most of you know we've been working our way through 1 Peter. <coughs> and um, Peter writes to the scattered churches in Asia Minor, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And um, I've been pounding one theme of 1 Peter. If I ask you what the theme of that is, I trust you know. What's the theme of 1 Peter? Right, suffer now, glory later. We have seen how often Peter speaks of suffering. Chapter 1, verse 6. These people have fallen into various trials. They have faced trials that have come at the hand of the Gentiles. Chapter 2, verse 12. Who have slandered them. They have faced governmental authorities who have oppressed them. Chapter 2, 13 to 17. The trials have come through masters who have dominated them. Some have been on the receiving end of evil and insult. Some have been intimidated and reviled, and some have suffered greatly. And through it all, Peter says, but but rejoice because your glory is coming later. We see that in in chapter 1 of the glorious inheritance that we have. Imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away. And, And through all this suffering, we are to look to Jesus, who is our example. He says in chapter 2, verse 21, You've been called for this purpose of suffering since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in His steps. In chapter 3, verse 18, He talked about how the just suffered for the unjust. And that was Christ. Christ died for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. And of all the chapters that speak about suffering that come upon His people, none none of these chapters are heavier than chapter 4. If you think we've had a lot so far, it's going to come strong and heavy. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose. Christ suffered, and we are Christ's followers, so we ought to suffer like He did. In the coming weeks, starting next week, we will be in chapter 4, verse 12, where Peter's going to spend from 12 to 19 talking about suffering. And he's going to say, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. It comes upon you for some test, for your testing. And so some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that, and here it is, glory later, the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Right? We're suffering now and we're glorying later. Well, it's interesting here in chapter 4, a whole chapter talking about suffering from verses 7 through 11 is kind of like a little parenthesis, a little, little, little side note. In the midst of your suffering, here's how you ought to act. Real practical. In fact, last week we saw three admonitions. One in verse 7, to pray. One in verse 8, to love one another. One in verse 9, to love strangers. And this morning we come with just one more admonition. I'm going to pound it home this morning. Verses 10 and 11, one word, serve. Serve. It's appropriately why I've entitled my message this morning, Serve One Another. Now, one of the things I find in, is interesting as you, as you go through books of the Bible is that you catch things in context. I listened to several sermons this week on uh, 1 Peter 4 
10 and 11 in my own preparation. And, and very little was mentioned about suffering. More was talking about gifts, what spiritual gifts are and how to use them. But they're in the context of suffering. And you think about it. Here are people who are, who are suffering from all different types of things. And Peter tells them, well, you need to pray. Turn to the Lord, the only place you can in your suffering. And you need to love one another. You need to serve one another. You need to love strangers. Love those outside. And finally here, you need to serve. In the midst of suffering, you need to serve. So often our response in suffering when things come down hard upon us is that we just want to coil into our own cocoon and, 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 and bear it and say, okay, I'm going to deal with it. But he says, no, get out of your own self-focus and focus upon others and serve them. So it's just interesting as you put it in context. I think it, it brings a richness to life here. Let me read our text. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Peter writes, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is my first point this morning. Verse 10, use your gift. Use your gift. I trust you can see how my point flows right here from verse 10. Peter writes, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. In other words, use it. In serving others. The picture that Peter paints here is one of God giving gifts to people. And those people, as they receive this gift, then turn around and give this gift to others. See, because the gift that God gives to His people aren't to be used by those who receive the gifts, but rather are to be passed through them to others so that others can be the beneficiary of their gifts. Right? They're to be used to serve other people. That's the thrust here. Use it in serving one another. So use your gift. As you reflect upon your life, think about what, what gifts has God given to you. He's given you a lot. First of all, He's given you life. Every one of us today, as we breathe in and breathe out, that's a gift of God that He gives us life. That He sustains life. It's His gift. He's given most of us a gift of health. Some of us who maybe don't have health now have had a lot of health until a point of sickness comes. He's given us the gift of time. Some of us, He's given us more time than others. Some of us will be given more time. Some of you, God has given a spouse. Some of you, God has given children. Those are all gifts the Lord that flow from His kind hand. On top of that though, God has given all of you gifts of an assortment of talents and abilities. He's given you resources at your disposal. He's given you income. He's, he's blessed you. He's given you food, given you housing, given you clothing. I don't think any of us lack that this morning. All these things you have are God's gift to you. But beyond all those things, God has given you His Son. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life. There is God giving us His Son. This is the greatest gift of all. It's His Son. In fact, Paul calls Jesus the indescribable gift. It is such a great gift we have in Christ that it's, it's indescribable. 
But think about through Christ how many things God has given us. He's given us eternal life. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death. But what the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's given us eternal life. We haven't earned it, haven't merited it. It's been given to us. He's given us salvation. Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is what? It's the gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. We don't boast in our salvation. It is a gift. He's given us, furthermore, of, He's given His Holy Spirit to us. Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us is all a gift of God. Not earned in any way, but God just flowers it, showers it upon us. And beyond all these things, as if that weren't enough, He gives us what are called spiritual gifts. Talents. Abilities. That are empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish spiritual purposes as God builds up His church. That's what spiritual gifts are. Abilities that God gives us that then are empowered by the Spirit to build up the church. And that's what Peter's getting at here in verse 10 when he speaks about this gift. He says, as each one has received a special gift. Now, specials in italics in the New American Standard Version, if that's what Bible you're looking at, it's, it's not in the text. Each of you have received a gift. But what the NAS is trying to get at here is that it's a, it's a unique gift. All of us have a unique gift. We've all been gifted uniquely from the hand of God. And it's each and every one of us who has been gifted in that way. Look, as each one has received a special gift. The sense here is that each and every single one of us has been given a gift, given spiritual gifts by God for the prosperity of His church. Now know that without exception, without exception, every single one of you have received this from God. Paul mentioned the same idea in 1 Corinthians 12.7. He wrote, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To every single one has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So it's whether it's Dirk or whether it's David, right? whether it's Lori or Chad or Paul, all of you have been given a manifestation of the Spirit by the common good. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 12 to describe the gifts are given. And so here's Paul describing about the spiritual gifts. He says, "...to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another word of knowledge." according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. Talking about all these things that God has given different people. And later on in 1 Corinthians 12, he again mentions more gifts. He talks about the gifts of healing, the gifts of helps, the gifts of administrations, various kinds of tongues. Now, it's beyond the scope of my message this morning to talk about whether these gifts are still active today. I think some of them are active and some of them aren't today. We don't see miraculous healings like they were in the time of Christ. I don't think they're active today. We don't see tongue speaking like they did in the time of the New Testament. I don't think those are active today. But there are gifts here, and the idea of, of Paul isn't so much the specific gifts, it's just more that these are the things that God gives. Spiritual gifts to His people. And another... Another list comes in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And it's interesting, this, this list is different than the list in 1 Corinthians 12. 
which ought to teach you something. But it says this, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us exercise them accordingly. And there's my point. Use your gift. Whatever you've received, exercise it. If prophecy, according to the proportion of faith. If service in His serving. He who teaches in His teaching. He exhorts with exaltation. He who gives with liberality. He leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, mercy. All these gifts are what God gives to us. And the fact, think about this, the fact that there are different gifts listed in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, I would say, you know what, I don't think either of these lists are exhaustive. I don't think you combine them together and cause there to be an exhaustive list of all the gifts that God gives. Because I think there are more gifts that the Holy Spirit gives that aren't explicitly mentioned here. Paul could easily have talked about the gift of encouragement. Think about a man named Joseph. Acts chapter 5, it speaks about him. Acts chapter 4, it speaks about him. You don't know him by the name Joseph. You know him by the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was an encourager. I think he had a gift of encouragement. He had a gift to look on the, the right side of things, to be encouraging to others, to see how God's grace is working in our lives. Some of the gift of prayer, like Epaphras, who... Paul said, was always laboring earnestly for the churches in Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. I mean, someone who's always laboring earnestly. I think that's a God-given gift to the church to be one who prays. Some have the gift of hospitality, I believe. Like Nympha, who hosted a church in her house. Playing hostess to many, many strangers over the years, I'm sure. To Luke, he had the gift of writing, research, Understanding knowledge. I mean, he carefully investigated study the life of Christ in the early church so that we might have the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Because God gifted Luke uniquely in that way. I think some have a gift of compassion like Epaphrodites who was distressed because he was concerned for the feelings of those in Philippi who heard that he was sick. He was distressed because he thought they were distressed in him being distressed. That's it's a gift of mercy, perhaps gift of compassion. But I think the gifts given by the Holy Spirit abound in variety and in measure and ought not to be limited merely to lists that are in the Bible. Okay, I think there are more. And furthermore, I think it's foolish merely to limit one gift to one person. Think about the Apostle Paul. Paul said he had the gift. He definitely had the gift of wisdom. I mean, he just had spiritual wisdom and insight, discernment in that. But he also spoke in tongues more than anybody else did Paul. He also performed miracles as well, raising up Eutychus who had fallen from the window and had died. So I think but what, you say, what gift do you have, Paul? Well, he's, well, I'm, I've got a gift of wisdom. I've got a gift of tongues. I've got a gift of miracles. I think all of these things kind of uh, work together, a little bit like like primary colors, maybe. I, I've got a slant of this and a slant of this. I got some red. I got some blue, and you know, I've got a purplish, pinkish gift. So he's got. So it's difficult to nail down exactly what what God has given you because God has gifted everyone uniquely. In fact, I love Dirk. Dirk, what kind of gift do you have? You have the gift of... He's got the gift of miscellaneous. <laughs> he's like, he can do everything. And he can. If you get to know Dirk, he can do everything. That's why I love him. He just does everything. He's the expert. Listen, and although we're all uniquely gifted, we're not gifted by chance. We're gifted by design. 
In Ephesians 4, Paul wrote, To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's a gift of Christ, and grace was given to us according to that gift. And then it says, We are to grow up into Christ, who's the head, from whom the entire body being filled and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, cause the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. God orchestrates bodies specifically. People puts them in churches specifically to combine the giftedness to build the body appropriately. You think about gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul used that great illustration of the body. If I have an eye and I can't say I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand and a hand can't say I'm not part of the body because I'm not a foot. No, they're all part of the body. And God specifically designs on purpose the giftedness of the people and how He brings them into His church. And the implication of that is if you fail to use your gift, the whole body suffers. That's what Peter's getting at here. As you've received this gift, Use it. And I think particularly coming back here to the context of First Peter, they are suffering. There's people all around you suffering. They're suffering in their marriage. They're suffering at their, their work. They're suffering from the government. They're suffering from Gentiles. And, and what do you need to do? You need to use your gift and help them and serve them. Help them gain a little bit of strength and comfort in their suffering. So if these people in Peter's day didn't help them, then they would be off suffering even more. But... But the giftedness that God gives is the hand of a channel of blessing and help. As I have said, just use your gift. Peter's reader, he doesn't mention anything about the particular gifts of the Spirit. He doesn't say anything about discovering your particular gift. He just says, you've received gift. That's what he says. You know, some of you maybe are familiar with spiritual gift inventories. How many of you have heard of these things? Right? Um, there's, there's good to that, that they might uh, raise your awareness of what spiritual gifts are. Maybe some of you have seen those, what they are basically. They list out all these gifts and then they ask you some questions about what you like to do. You know, if you rate, rate yourself high on theology, then you have a gift of teaching. Or if they rate, if you rate yourself highly on um, relating to people you really care for, then you have gift of mercy. But think about this. And then they say, okay, these are your gifts. But think about this. If, if the, my premise is true, that all the gifts in the Scripture aren't all the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, then all of a sudden those spiritual inventories are just focusing on these gifts and can't address other gifts. They're invalidated if my premise is true. And furthermore, I think one of the problems with these spiritual gifts inventories is that there's a focus on, what's my gift? What's my, I gotta figure out what my gift is. But Peter says, no, no, it's not what your gift is, it's just you use your gift. However God has gifted you, just use it. Be a channel of blessing. So for that reason, I'm not real high on them. If they cause your awareness to think about ways in which it can work in the body, that's great. But I think Peter's emphasis here isn't upon the specific things that you give. He just says, as you have received a gift, as God has given you and graced you with things, just use it. Get your eyes off yourself. Put your eyes upon other people. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12.1, these gifts are given for the common good intended to build up the body of Christ. Now, this is true of the gifts that we know are given in Scripture. The gift of knowledge isn't to puff you up. Rather, the gift of knowledge is given so you can teach others the way of God. The gift of faith isn't, isn't so that you can build your kingdom. The gift of faith is so that you can see others prosper in God building His kingdom. The gift of exhortation isn't for you. It's for you to exhort others and encourage them in holy living. The gift of giving 
It's for the advancement of the gospel so you can take your financial resources and give to others so the gospel can go forth. The gift of mercy is to help others in distress. In fact, that's why I think Paul concludes his rebuke about spiritual gifts in the church in 1 Corinthians 14 with a simple instruction. Let all things be done for edification. All this gifts, all this activity, but let everything be done for edification, right? Build others up with a gift that you have received. So if you've received a gift, employ it in serving one another. All right. This comes illustration time. I have this morning some gifts. And I need some volunteers of who's going to help me distribute these gifts. Particularly, I'm looking for kids because kids are good at this. Who wants to volunteer for this? Okay, why don't you come? Abby, right? Abby, why don't you come? And I want you just to come. I want some others to come. Yep, how about you come, Alex? Come on up. And uh, Alex, you know, Alex, right? Nicholas, Nicholas. And Hannah, why don't you come on up? Why don't you come on up? How about we go over here? Jared, why don't you come on up? And how about some kids from this section over here? Any kids over there? Alyssa, why don't you come on up? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to... Uh, <laughs> I want you to make sure that everybody gets a card. Okay? So maybe, Abby, you can just start start right, right up here. Maybe, Jared, you can go to the back there. Alyssa, maybe you get... Or here. Yeah, Nicholas, how about you start with the middle here? Maybe, Hannah, why don't you go there? I'll... I'll start you. You know what? I'm going to need a, another helper over here. How about you? You all are visit. I don't even know your names. Only I want to come up and help. Here, why don't you start doing it? Everyone gets an envelope. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care. Maybe there's a, a baby sitting there. Right? Everybody gets. And if you know, if we're short, I have a few more. But I I, I made like way more than we need. All right? Yep. You can just open them up if you want to. You can. See what's in them. Does anyone have one? Does anyone not have one yet? Anyone? Okay, we got some back there. Are, are you all out, Alyssa? Okay, I got some more here. Here. Why don't you, why don't you get some back there? Here. You're out. Okay, who else needs some? Right in back. Are we, are we getting them? Um, I think, you know what? I think, I think Alyssa, say thank you very much, kids. How about an applause for the kids yourself? Great. Oh, you need one. <laughs> You've got the gift of giving, I think. Great. I know some of you, how many of you have opened up your, your gift already? Alright, you see what it is there, right? It is, it is a, a card. And I'll just, I'll just open one up here. It is a, a note card that has been graciously given to you. It is my special gift to you. Well, actually, it's just maybe more of my, my wife's gift to you, all right? You can see on the back, she, she signed this here. And um, what, what do you do with these? Kids, what do you normally do with this? What do you? You read it, yeah. What else? What's this for, though? With an envelope, with a note, what's it for? It's a note of encouragement is really what it is. So what I want you to do is I want you to take this... Note card that you have this week, I want you to employ it in serving others. It's a gift that's been given to you. It's not for you. I don't want you to say, wow, that's pretty, and buy a frame and put it up on your wall. All right? That's for another time and for another day. That's not this gift for you, okay? Maybe you could frame it and give it to somebody. That would be okay. But you gotta get it out of your house and you gotta get it out of your hands, alright? 
I don't want you to put it in your Bible and use it as a bookmark. I don't want that. I want you to write a note of encouragement and place a stamp on it, place an address on it, and get it off to somebody. Use your gift that I'm giving you to do that. And in so doing, I want you to illustrate really for yourself the truth found here in First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, when God gives gifts to His people, in many ways He doesn't just transfer them to us. He doesn't transfer ownership. In many ways, every gift that God gives us is not our own. The money that you have in your bank or in your wallet right now is not your money. It might look like your money, but it's not. It's on loan to you. It is God's gift to you. And you are His steward managing His money. The question isn't, how much should I give? The question is, how much should I keep of His money? That's the question, because it's His money. The house you own, or partially own, is, um, is not your house. It might look like your house. You might do a lot of repair jobs on your house, but it's not. It's God's house He's given you to live in for a season and to manage. The car you drive, the clothes you wear, everything you have is God's. God made the world. It is His. The same is true of your giftedness. Your time that God gives you, the talents, your treasures, everything that God gives you is His gifts to you and you are to use it for His purposes. It's not yours. It's God's. And you are merely stewards of these things. And I trust you know what a steward is. A steward is a household servant who is put in charge, responsible and accountable to his master for those things that are given to him to oversee. In the same way, we are responsible for what God has given to us. And Jesus loved this illustration. There are several times in the Scriptures when He told a parable of a a steward who ultimately then gives account to his master for the things in which he was um, given responsibility over. I want to read a parable for you. Matthew 25, you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. This is a perfect illustration of a steward. I want to just drive home this, this point that if you've received a gift, as you have, you need to give that to others. This is the parable. It's called the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. Talents is money. But it, it corresponds so great, this word does in English, that is, it is our talents, our abilities, our gifts. Everything that we have is here. Jesus said this. Speaking about the kingdom of heaven, He says in Matthew 25:14, It is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents and to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five talents more. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he received the one talent, went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. And see, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not too difficult to understand, really. God's, God's the master. Goes on a journey. We're the slaves. The talents the master gave the slaves are like the gifts that God has given to us. And just as the master gave his stewards various amounts of money, so also God has given to us various amounts of money, various amounts of gifts, various amounts of resources. And just as the master called his slaves to give an account, so also God will hold us accountable for the gifts that he has given us. And just as the usage of the gifts had consequences, so also the usages of your gifts will have consequences as well are eternal consequences. And to these slaves, he gave various amounts of money. To, to one he gave five talents, to one he gave two, and one he gave one. And the parallel comes directly in our, our text here this morning. As each one has received a special gift, uses good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace is manifold. It abounds. As the ESV says, it is a varied grace. It is, as the Greek says, a multicolored, multifaceted grace. When God gives His people, He doesn't give them all the same thing. He gives some of them one talent, gives some of them two talents, gives some of them five talents. And I think about some of you. Some of you have greater gifts that God has given you. Some of you have, have had the privilege of being born in a Christian family. What a wonderful thing. Born of Christian, godly parents. Some of you have been saved at a young age before you wasted much of your life in sin and dissipation. Some of you have been blessed with worldly resources at your disposal. You've been given five talents. To others, He's given lesser gifts. Maybe you're born, up, born in a, a wicked home, exposed to lots of sin. Maybe saved later in life. Little to offer by way of financial resources. Maybe He's given you only two talents. But yet, God's grace is manifold because those who have been given much actually in some ways have been given less. And those who have been given less in some ways are given more because, see, it's the poor who are rich in faith. It's those who have been saved of great sin who love much, Luke 7. On the other hand, those who receive more often receive less. Oftentimes, those who grow up in righteous families fail to see their own need for a Savior. They can stand like the Pharisees and say, look at how good I am. Fast twice a week. Tithe everything I get. See, Jesus didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. And it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's God's manifold grace. So even, even a blessing on one hand, a gift from the one hand, might be a lesser gift on the other. All of us have been gifted differently to manifold grace. 
In this parable, Jesus demonstrates this by assigning some slave more talents and some slaves less. And some of you have discovered that I've done that with some of the cards, haven't you? Some of you have discovered that. I, I slipped in some bills into some of these cards. Uh, I slipped in one five. I slipped in a two. I slipped in a bunch of ones. All right. How many of you got an extra special gift? Some of you. Okay. Way, way back there. All right. Now, to him who has been given much, much is required. All right. If you just receive the card, it's like... Great, I should have write a note. And if you receive a little money in there, you'd have probably said, Hallelujah! But you know what? That, that money's not for you. <laughs> I've just burdened you with more responsibility and more accountability. Here's what I want you to do with that money. I want you to be a steward of that money. I want you to invest that money somehow this week. Think about it. You can't do much for a dollar. Can't do much for five dollars. I was talking about Vaughn. I said, well, "Well, what if I give a bunch of ten dollars?" Well, no, we won't do that. It's kind of worse. <laughs> but think about it. If you have one dollar, you really need to maybe be creative in what you can do. I just wrote down a few things. Maybe you can do for a dollar. You can buy something off of the dollar menu at McDonald's for for one of family members. Maybe a Sunday. Maybe on your way home, like a. Um, uh, an ice cream sundae for your dad, kids. You could do that with your dollar. Amen. Amen, right? <laughs> Maybe purchasing a, a scented candle for your mom at the dollar store. You could do that. Maybe it's uh, going out to a restaurant this week and putting an extra dollar in the tip. Appreciation for that. Maybe it's placing money in the offering plate. Maybe it's sending it to an orphan in Nepal. Or maybe... Betty, you're going to like this. I'm sorry, what's your name? John, is that your name? I forget. You're a visitor today. John is your name. Maybe this. Tell me if you guys are like this. Maybe just go today, tomorrow sometime, Walmart, and uh, just give to the cashier. Give the dollar to them and just say, I'm giving this to you. Thank you for serving me in the name of Jesus Christ. Take it. Would that be great, you two? Walmart workers. (laughs) Betty knows John from Walmart today. Give it in the name of Jesus. That would be great. Witnessing opportunity. Someone receives it. Says, "What? This is strange." Walk out the door. They can't. They got a dollar. That would be okay too. You just need to get it off your hands, and you need to invest it somehow in the kingdom. I don't know how you're going to spend it. I don't know how you're going to exactly do with that money, but do it in serving others. Now, it's interesting here. Is is I don't possibly have the ability to know whether each of you are good stewards of this. I know that coming this next coming week, I'm going to have lots of questions. Hey, did you write your card this week? Did you send it someplace? All right. And you can send it to somebody in the church. You can, um, kids, maybe even tonight. Here's a good idea for some of you kids. Take it out this afternoon and maybe write a wonderful note to your dad about all the things you appreciate about him. Put it in and then at din- dinner, present it to your dad. Kids, you can do that. So you can do it in your family. You can do it in the church body. Or maybe you got some friends you just want to send it to. That would be fine. You just got to... Send it to somebody. And I'm not going to know how good a stewardship steward you were. I will probably ask some of you and figure out how well some of you did. Maybe some of you will confess to me next Sunday when you open your Bible to First Peter and this is there and you go. <laughs> but you know what? God knows how you use the gifts He's given to you. And you will be accountable to God for the gifts that He has given you. My point here in First Peter is to use your gift 
And I ask you at this point, how are you doing? Are you using your gift? Peter says, employ it in serving others. Think about this. The call of God upon your life is to serve others with the giftedness with which He has gifted you. Think about this morning. You're sitting right here enjoying everything. At Rock Valley Bible Church, there are many people who have given themselves to serve you to make the service happen. Last night, there was a crew that came in to set up this place. Throughout the week, we had some working on preparing, copying, folding bulletins. Some people bought refreshments for us to enjoy. Some brought strawberry shortcake for the uh, fathers. As I speak right now, there are people serving you. Some in the nursery right now. Some teaching children's church to ease some of the burden on the, the children. Others have gone to some length to help you. Enjoy the service. You've been welcomed. You've been greeted. Some have shown their concern to you, ask you how, how are you doing. All this takes place so you can enjoy a worship service this morning. And all these are opportunities for you to step up and help. Help ease the load in the nursery schedule. So rather than having nursery workers out of the service every six weeks, they can be every ten weeks. And children's church teachers, rather than teaching every five weeks, teaching every eight weeks. The setup crew especially, I just want to highlight that. We all know there's a huge need for setup. And I just say, please, just maybe say, Doug, one Saturday a month I can give to you and just help ease the burden. God has gifted you and somebody can help in that way. Maybe you can help to do that. You would be appreciated. After work, there's uh, after service. Teardown opportunities are great. Chairs stacked, hymnals gathered, stage wheeled away. I mean, we're all here to help. I just say, encourage just, just use your gift in that way. But I would say this, that... Um, Regarding the ministry opportunities of Rock Valley Bible Church, really there are two types of ministries. One is a formal ministry. Everything I mentioned is a formal ministry. On top of that, we have um, Bible studies. We have flocks, um, gatherings intended, formal ministries to equip you all. The formal ministries really exist so that the informal ministries take place. And the informal ministry, that's the life of the church. Okay? Sunday mornings, yes, good. It's great to worship the Lord. That's important. It's important to see people week by week. That's wonderful. Flocks are really important. But you know what? All those things, equippers are great. Ladies' Bible studies are great. All those things are to equip you and help you so you do the real work of the ministry, which is informal ministry. That's the real work of the ministry. And by that, I just mean the life-on-life interactions that take place in the life of the church. When a home is flooded, you go and help clean up the mess. There might be some opportunities some of you maybe know somebody in Rockford. What a great thing it would be if one of you knows somebody, maybe by the river, whose house was flooded. You say, hey, how about we just have a bunch of people from Rock Valley Bible Church go over and help them? We could do that. I know that uh, if the Weebies' house was flooded, maybe we'd have a lot of people coming over there. Is your house flooded? Okay, good. good. Is anyone's house flooded? Some. I know that some of us, if we had a flood, we would, we'd be there. And so maybe we can even serve that with life on life. That is true ministry. A family moves, like the Hermans. You help pack them up. That's true ministry, to help ease the load. Babies are born. You help with meals. When marriages are having difficulty, and you and your wife go over to try to do what you can to restore that marriage, that is true ministry. That is true ministry. When your children are out of control, you say, I need help. And you go up and you see, wow, their children are... How do you do that? You go up and ask for some advice and counsel on that. When sorrow strikes a home and you go over and just sit with the people sorrowing and pray with them. That's ministry. 
When there's a household repair, you, you call your friend with the gift of miscellaneous and he comes over and helps you with repair. It's happened to me a couple weeks ago. Help my water softener was trying to fix it. And, and I would have done everything and wouldn't have fixed it, but Dirk came and gave me great help. I hope it's fixed, sort of fixed. <laughs> you have ladies come over and help clean your windows. That's a service. Um, you drop off a bag of groceries to a family who's in great need. I mean, that is true ministry. Informal ministry. You give your car to a family in need. Your old car. You're not going to use it anymore. You can pick $500 off the, the, the used car guy or the return in. How about you just give that to somebody? Give it away. Sell for $300. Whatever. Be a gift. Help someone with a child's tuition. Introduce yourself to a visitor. Ask about a difficult family situation. You know something's going on in some family? Ask about that and show your care and show your concern. Maybe pray for them. That's informal ministry. Informal ministry is continuing to discipline your children even when they've been disobedient for the 10,000th time. Your family, much takes place in formal ministry there. When you care for your aging parents... That's informal ministry. Making a phone call to someone you missed at church. Writing a note of encouragement to somebody. That's informal ministry. And I'm just telling you, that is the ministry of the church. And, and everything we do, really, in many, many ways, flocks, equippers, Bible study Sunday morning, is all to mobilize you to be life-on-life life informal ministry. That is what I think Peter had in mind. If you get back to 1 Peter chapter 4, when he was talking about the ministries here of the church, in his day, there weren't lots of programs going on. In his day, there weren't a lot of administrative work in the church to be done. In his day, though, there were many people suffering. And he said, you just go out and you help the suffering people. That's what you need to do. Peter's talking about life on life service. And that's what we're called to do. Everything we do formally as a church is a means to an end. The means to the end is to help those in difficulty and suffering. Think about someone who's in suffering, need, desperation. Who do they call? Who do they call? Someone said something happened to them. It's hard. Who do they call? Huh? They call friends. They call those who they know. They call those who they have close relationships with, who know, have demonstrated their care for them. Those are the front lines of defense. And and that's what your goal ought to be, is to have an inner network of friends and people that you can care for, that you can show your, your love and service to. Many of you know it's in the bulletin. We're having this um, uh, longest day of the year party at Rock Cut State Park. We've done this for years. It's very informal, but it's just our family. This isn't even church ministry. This is just our family, what we do. Longest day of the year, the... What are summer solstice, right? We go out to Rockcut State Park and, and have a picnic and then watch the sun go down and savor every last little bit of the longest day of the year. It's a blast. We have fun. You know, it's a picnic time. But listen, it's a means to an end. The aim of that is to develop relationships so that in the day of distress, we'll be poised and postured to be able to help and serve in whatever we can. Whether it's great distress, whether it's small distress. And that's why it's so important for you to you come and be with people to church. Now, I can hear lots of excuses coming up. Well, I don't have any useful gifts. I don't have time to do these things. I don't want to get too close to people because it hurts sometimes. I don't know how to serve. I don't agree with what's going on. Why should I help them? It's getting done anyway. Why would they need my help? 
What good will my little effort do? What good will my little effort do? Well, hopefully, I'll tell you a story here this week, maybe put it in perspective. As a lot of you know, we're finishing our, our basement. It's, it's kind of like half done, and we're finishing it off. And uh, we're planning to put SR's bedroom downstairs. And uh, so if you have a bedroom downstairs, you need to have an egress window so in case of a fire, we can, we can escape out of the fire. So that's a big job. And so we hired it out, and uh, finally the, the egress crew window people came, and uh, they put it in. It's almost done. They're going to finish it tomorrow. And uh, think about what happened at the Brandon household this week. You get these three guys out digging this big hole. I mean, we're talking seven feet wide, seven feet deep, probably four four feet away from the house, digging this big hole, working real hard. Um, our kids are like, hey, what, what's happening? You know, the cement cutter, you know, cutting a hole in our concrete foundation, you know, about that thick and then putting in this window. I mean, it was it was the center of attention this past week with all the kids. And, and our kids develop a relationship and a friendship with some of these um some of these workers, and um, had a great. They know their names, right? What are their names? Nick, Bobby, and Travis. And they had a good time bringing them cookies and bringing them water and lemonade, whatever was appropriate. Now, here's the story I want to tell. There was one time Travis was downstairs and he's working. He's got a drain in this, and it's going. It's draining into a drain tile, and he's working with some PVC pipe. And uh, he realized he needs something. And Stephanie's there watching him. Stephanie's probably like this. But she's also talking up a storm. I know so there's a relationship there and, and Nick's in, 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 I'm sorry, and Travis is right there and working and stuff and he says, Steffi, go tell Nick I need a 90. Okay? So he's here working there and Steffi gets up, this is my four-year-old, gets up, goes upstairs and says, Nick, I need a 90. <laughs> and so Nick gives her this. It's a 90. I didn't know what a 90 was, but he gives her a 90. And she walks back downstairs and gave this to Travis, and then Travis put that so our egress window drains. What what help could Steffi give? She could carry a 90, a message upstairs to carry a 90 and bring it down. And maybe all that you can do to serve others is to ask and get and retrieve a 90. But that is still being a good steward of the gifts that God has given you. And I say, if God has given you one talent, use the talent. All right. Second point. It's not going to be as long as my first point. Actually, it's going to be very quick because we're going to transition here into the Lord's Supper. But first point, verse 10, use your gift. Second point, give God glory with your gift. Give God glory. That's the end of what Peter's talking about here in verse 11. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. These words, Peter demonstrates how little concerned he is with you identifying your gift. He's simply saying, whatever way you're gifted, use it for God's glory. He's simply saying this, if you have a gift, use it. If your gift is in the realm of speaking, then speak God's words. If your realm is, if your service is in the realm of serving, then serve by God's strength, trusting the Lord to give you that strength. On the one hand, he's simply saying, if you have a gift, use it. But on the other hand, think about 
All these different ways in which he's got at using it for your, the glory of God. He says this. He says in the middle of the verse, Do this, speak and serve, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Do these things, speak in such a way, serve in such a way, so that God gets the glory. But you also even see this in the way he talks about how it is you ought to speak. If you speak, don't speak your own words, which only bring glory to yourself. Rather, speak the utterances of God so as to give Him glory. And if you serve, don't serve on your own strength and make great sacrifices and great name for yourself, but rather serve in weakness so that God's name is made great. So He gets the glory. And that's all verse 11 is saying. That's why it's pretty quick here. How easy is it though to be nice religious talk? Oh yes, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we all do it all to the glory of God. I want you to think about how, how it is that you can serve and how it is you can speak to the glory of God. Two words I want you to keep in mind. Maybe you can write them next to your Bible right here. Two words. Humility and joy. Humility and joy. First of all, humility. For God to be glorified, you need to be humble. God gets no glory in your speaking if you have an air of arrogance about your demeanor. He gets none. But when you humbly share the truth of God, God is greatly glorified. The story is told of the young, arrogant preacher who climbed into the pulpit with his peacock feathers flying in the breeze. The sermon was a colossal failure and the young man was devastated as he walked down from the pulpit. Tears filled his eyes. And the old saint standing at the foot of the stairs said, not unkindly, Son, if you had entered the pulpit the way you left it, you might have left the pulpit the way you entered it. Humility. That's true of preaching and teaching. It's also true of counseling and talk with other people. You can talk with other people in such a way that sets you and your mighty wisdom above everything. And God's not glorified in that. But listen, submit yourself to God's Word and when you speak and counsel and talk with others, let God's Word flow from your mouth. So God is glorified. And serving is the same way. The problem of the Pharisees is that they weren't humble. They stood and prayed so all can hear. They they would stand and pray Arms stretched out so everyone can see how righteous they are. When they fasted, they let everybody know that they were fasting. When they were giving, they were sounding a trumpet so that everybody could see and hear the coins clink into the coffers they gave them in. The problem was they weren't humble. Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In other words, just, just do it. Don't make even attention to yourself. Just get it done. Humility. That's what brings glory to God. It's the humble servant that is others-focused, as Paul spoke in Philippians chapter 2. Don't regard your own interests, but regard the interests of others. Right? Be others-focused. Be humble. That's a way to give glory to God. Second word, joy. Joy. You know, John Piper has made famous the phrase, how many of you know it? If you know it, say it with me. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. He said it, I'm not sure. I've heard him say it personally probably a hundred times in the sermons I've listened to of him. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. I think it's absolutely true. When you find your delight and your joy in serving God, that's when God is glorified because He's seen as so worthy of finding your satisfaction and delight and He's a worthy God to be trusted and obeyed and served. But if you serve with a sour disposition on your face, 
God has seemed like an ogre who's demanding submission from you. And God receives no glory from that. So serve the Lord with joy. Whether it is your speaking, speak to others when you're speaking of God with a joy on your heart and your face. It's in your serving, serve with joy. Serve with thankfulness. Serve with cheerfulness. And so God will get the glory. And ultimately, that glory comes through Jesus Christ. I just figure right here is a good place to transition to the Lord's Supper. You know, everything we do, all of our service as you seek to serve one another, it's only because of what Christ has done in your life that caused you to serve. There's no other reason. But Christ has done for you, what more can I do, right? But to serve Him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 He died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Christ's gift is the greatest gift He has given of Himself. He was rich, but He became poor for our sake. He left heaven itself to dwell among us and didn't just dwell among us. He died. died the worst death. Death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and He's the one that we worship. We always remember the cross of Christ. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Celebrate the Lord's Supper. We've done this many times before. But it does require a little word of instruction here. Paul rebuked the Corinthians for celebrating the Lord's Supper in the wrong way. People were selfish. There were divisions among the people. They're getting drunk before people came. He says, you're just defiling the Lord's Supper. And he says, therefore, 1 Corinthians 11:27, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. I think the heart here is, are you serving? Is your heart one of service? Has God given you everything? Are you going to give everything to Him? Are you really trusting in Christ? Is He your hope? Is He your joy? Is He where you're going to find your satisfaction and delight? And if He is, celebrate with us. And maybe there's some sin you need to repent of today. Repent of it. Put it behind you and gain strength in the supper as we celebrate it together. I'm going to pray. We'll bring the musicians up. They'll pass the bread out. Hold it. We'll eat the bread. And we'll eat the cup. If you're trusting in Christ, it's for you. Rejoice in it. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that this morning you would be especially honored and glorified as we remember and reflect upon the death of Christ for our sins. It's the reason we gather here as a church. The path of strength that we have is in Christ. So God, I pray you'd, you'd help us this morning. Bring great glory to Yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.